Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we got lovely people here who'd love to get a Bible into your hands. So if you throw your hand up, you can grab one of these Bibles if you forgot yours or don't own one. And like I say every Sunday, if you, if you don't own a Bible, for sure throw your hand up. Grab one of these. Take it home as our gift to you that you'd have a copy of God's Word. Go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John is way near the back. If you start at Revelation and work your way towards the front, you'll hit the 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. We're in 1 John chapter 5 this morning. You know, I was wondering this, just as I'm studying this passage over this last week or so, to ask the question this is, what does it look like to have a winning life? What's that look like? What's it look like to say that, man, I am winning at life? I mean, is, is it the, when you work really hard and you, you get the job you're looking for, you work your way up in that job and you gain security? I mean, maybe you gain enough security for yourself, but also to pass down to your kids and, and, and that kind of work ethic, you're like, that's winning in life. Or, or maybe for you, maybe, maybe that's not kind of your thing. Maybe you're more like a Gen X and you're like, no, it's not about giving it all to my workplace. It's having good work-life balance. Right? Like, and, and so for you, it's like winning in life is if I have a meaningful life where I wasn't sucked into the machine of work, but, but my life has a full meaning to it. That's winning. Or maybe for you, it's about connection. I mean, if I've got community that's meaningful, like friends that go deep, friends where we connect, if I've got that going on, that community around me, then I'm winning at life. Or, or maybe it's enjoyment, Man, if I have comfort and joy and I'm loving life, man, I'm winning at life. A number of years ago, it was the great theologian, Charlie Sheen, who said that <laughs> hashtag winning is I got more cars, more women, bigger houses, and apparently he has tiger blood. I don't even know what that means, right? But he would say that, that was winning, right? That was his line. He just kept saying, winning, winning. I mean, as, as Christians, we can even hear stories, sermons preached about, hey, this is what it means to have a victorious life. And, and you can hear these, these health, wealth, gospel kind of preachers. I don't even want to say gospel because there's no gospel in it at all that says if you're winning, you're having victory, and, and you have victory because if you put your hope and you give more, you'll get more. You'll have perfect health. You'll have great wealth. And we, we hear that, we, we hear those, those stories, we hear that idea, we hear even those sermons maybe being preached that talk about the kind of just, you have the healthy, greatest lifestyle because you give more to Jesus, you'll get more back. And we, we think, man, I don't think that's right. We, we know from experience, it doesn't sound right. We know, especially from God's word, man, there's no way that can be true. But we also hear things like Jesus saying, in me you have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We read verses like in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've heard even John in this letter here in John, 1 John 4, chapter 4, verse 4, where he says, little children, you are from God and you've overcome them. You've overcome the world. You've overcome the sin done against you. You've overcome the sin that you do. You've overcome the sin we see around us in the world. He says you've overcome them for greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And then we start reading in 1 John chapter 5 here. This is what it says. It says everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God 
And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's a theme of victory here in these verses. Can you hear it? This idea of overcoming. In fact, John uses the same word overcome three times in just two verses there. He keeps repeating it. You've, you've overcome. You are overcome. So, so here's this here. If you're taking notes this morning, here's where we're going this morning. Our first point is this. I'm promised a life of victory. We see it here in Scripture. We're promised this life of victory. We're promised to be overcomers. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. This idea of overcome, overcome the, the word that John uses there, the word, it means, it means to have victory over someone or something. It's, it's, it's to be a conqueror. It's like this idea of, of you won the championship. You, you get to lift the trophy, right? You've got the ring. You, your, your number's being retired. That, that's the overcoming. That's the victory. Maybe you're not so sporty, but you're more academic. It's, it's, I got the degree. I can put it on my wall. I've overcome. I've, I've, I've become what I studied to become. It's, it's, it's like it's the parade down the middle of the street at the end of World War II. We've overcome. We have victory. And so we know that as Christ followers, we're, we're promised this victory. And yet, yet for so many of us, We're living in anything but overcoming faith. Like the idea of overcoming faith, the idea of victory, it's something we, we know about, but it, it's not something we really experience from day to day. And, and it doesn't take much for us to leave on a Sunday morning and, and we've been encouraged by the word and by worship and, and, and we walk out of here going, yes, I have victory in Christ. And then all of a sudden you feel the weight, the weight of expectations of the world around you the weight of sin, and, and you feel crushed by it. It doesn't take long for the battle of sin that you, you battle with to, to come back up and, and come trampling on our, on our victory, on our overcoming faith. It doesn't take long to, to recognize all the opportunities we have to live out the gospel, to speak and to live in a way that, that displays Christ, and yet we, we, we don't take those opportunities and, and we're crushed by that. Say, man, I'm not living in this victory. So overcoming faith, more like struggling faith, 
more of, of clinging as tight as I can with a hope that maybe, maybe I've got this kind of faith and it, it can feel more defeated than victorious. And, and so we see, well, I don't know if I had this overcoming faith or this victorious life. I've got a heavy life. I've got a battling faith. My hope is this, that but this morning that God breathes, breathes life into the depleted sails of your faith this morning. That God once again wants to remind you of, of the words of Jesus when, when Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. John's writing this to us this morning by God's spirit that, that we would have a hope. The, the whole theme of John's letter is that idea of, I want to give Christ followers hope, that they would know, that they would have a, a surety, a confidence, an assurance. And so he's writing to believers, to those who say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, for us to be able to rest, to rest securely. To walk in the confidence of who we are in Christ. To really say, I have a life of victory. To say to Christians, listen, if you're a Christ follower, if you're trusting in Jesus, you have right now an overcoming faith of victory. I mean, how different would, would our life, the actual day-to-day, -day, like when, when that theology, when, when the rubber hits the road, how different would our perspective be if we actually got this, that, that in Christ, you are unconquerable. Now, I know that can sound kind of cliche, right? Like, okay, I'm unconquerable in Christ. Put it on a, on a coffee mug. I'll close my eyes as I drink it, and I'll just think happy thoughts, and, and maybe it will be true. And, and we kind of think of this idea of the victory I have in Christ a little bit like when we put our kids in soccer and they lose every stinking game, but still at the end get a trophy, right? And we kind of think, yeah, maybe, maybe that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, you have victory, like, like you're, you're all kind of losers and you never really make it, but I want you to feel good about, about yourself, so I want to give you this little trophy of victory. And that's not victory, that, that's not overcoming. I don't know about you, but sometimes like you, you, you read through Scripture and you go, yeah, look, I, I get it that I've got God's Spirit in me and I've, I've got the sword of the Spirit and a shield of faith. But, but at times that sword feels like just a, a play stick and the, the shield feels like a cardboard cutout like when I was a kid. Where's the victory? Here's the amazing truth of God's Word. Our, our faith, our victory, it's not how strong we are. It's how strong the object of our faith is. It, it's not about your ability to hold on to Jesus. It's about his ability to hold on to you. It's not about your ability to, to set your feet forward and, and to experience victory. It's about Christ's victory in you and through you. Because, amen. Because he, here's the thing. To hear, to hear that comment that you're an overcomer, it sounds odd to us. It was even more odd to the first century church that heard that. A couple of reasons. One, because not so much in North America, but, but like a, the rest of the world, the first century Christian was persecuted greatly. Like what's happening today in, in Asia, in the Middle East, in Africa, where, where thousands upon thousands of Christians are being persecuted and even put to death for their faith. That was what was going on as John's writing this letter. So it seemed kind of weird to say, you're an overcomer. 
The, the other weird part about be called an overcomer, that word he chose to use, it wasn't a word you would give to mortals. It, the gods were the overcomers, not people. Yet repeated all through scripture, we're told this, you, in Christ, we as Christ followers, were overcomers. The, the word that, that John's using here, it's a Greek word, nikeo. It, it means winner. It means victory. Now, I don't normally pull out, bust out Greek words in sermons, but this one's kind of cool because how many of you are rocking Nikes this morning, right? You've got a pair of Nikes on? That, that word Nike, that's where it comes from. It's, it's this Greek word, nikeo. It means, means victorious. The Nike is the word for victory. So, so as a Christian, listen, you're not just some sort of conqueror. You, you didn't like just kind of eke out a win. You, you didn't throw up the, the eyes closed. Let me just heave the ball up from half court. Hope it goes in and look at that. We kind of just won that. How did that happen? No, no. He says, you are a conqueror. Total victory. Listen, Christ follower, listen. You have victory over Satan, over sin, over yourself, over wrath and death and hell and the world in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. And if you, if you don't feel that reality, that's what I want to unpack this morning from this passage here. I want us to get a biblical perspective on what does it look like for us to have that kind of victorious faith. So if we say, listen, I, I get, okay, I'm supposed to have a life of victory. What's it look like? How can I be sure of this victory? And, and that's why John wrote this letter. Over and over again in this letter, he keeps saying, I'm writing this that you would know, that you would be sure so let's look at some signs. What are some signs? What are some proofs that I'm promised this life of victory, that I've got this in me? If, you, if you're a Christ follower, these aren't the ways you gain the victory, but these are evidences of that victory in your life. Here's one. I believe in Jesus. I mean, it's so basic, but listen, it's so important that we start here. It's, it's not a try harder. It's not a work up more faith kind of a deal. It's, it's you have victory because of Jesus. It's his life in you. And, and the minute we think that this victory is something that we produce on our own is the, is the minute we, we veer off of God's path, is the minute we lose what this victory is. So look at verse one. It says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Your belief, your, your ongoing faith, your trust that Jesus is Lord, that he's in control, he's the Messiah, He's your savior. This ongoing belief you have, that's an evidence, John says, listen, that's God at work in you. Because you're believing this. Now, now we gotta make sure we understand what belief means. In, in North American Christianity, we've kind of made believe in Jesus being like a, an answer to a trivial pursuit question. As long as you know all the stuff up here, then you've got it. Did Jesus die on the cross? Yep, I believe, I'm a believer. But the, the idea of belief that John's laying out for us here, it's, it's so much deeper than just a head knowledge. It's, it's a confidence in, in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a trust in the work of Christ on your behalf. It's a, I'm pushing all my chips into the center of the table. I'm going all in on this Jesus. Uh, I'm trusting my whole life to this. I'm putting the full weight of all my hopes and dreams, my identity, my, my purpose, all of this. I'm not, I'm not putting it in anything else. I'm not going to trust in anything else. I'm not going to hope in anything else. It's all Jesus. That's what belief is. 
So then it makes sense then for, for us to say that the, the more you press into Jesus Christ, the, the more you walk with Jesus, the more you submit to Jesus, the more you listen to his word and, and come under his word and obey his word, that, that w- with all of that going on in your life, then the more overcoming your faith will come to life. The more of a reality it'll be in your day-to-day life, the more you'll see, man, it's Jesus in me. I love that because what it does is it takes the weight of responsibility of the victory off of my shoulders. It's Christ in me. It's not me doing this. It's Christ in me. Yet there still is a responsibility where we press into Jesus, where we believe, we trust, we rest. That's the active part of this where we say, Lord, I'm putting my hope in you. I'm putting the full weight of my life on you and who you are and what you said you've done. I'm believing and leaning into Jesus. That's the first mark of the victorious life. Here's another mark. You see, another bit of evidence is this, that I love God and I love others. The verse goes on. It says, whoever loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him, so loves other believers. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Now see how John lays this out. He's, he's flipped this around. The last time we talked about loving people, we said you love people because you, know, because you love God, you love people. And he kind of flipped this around going, and you love people because you love God. He's kind of, what, what is he saying here? He's saying the source of your love for each other comes from your love for God. The source of your love is God. You you love God first, and the overflow of that is going to be seen in your love for others. Here's a way to think about it. Here's a way you think about it. How many here, you you have close friends or a spouse, and, and, and they like things you don't like, and you like things they don't like? Anybody like that? My hands gotta be good. There's no way you, you and your spouse love everything the same. No, I totally do. I love romantic comedies. They're the best. There's no way, right? We, 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 if you're married or you have a close friend, you have people close to you where you're like, we have different interests. My wife and I have very different interests. There are things that she loves to do that I don't like to do at all. She loves to go to bed early. I like to stay up late. She loves to, to exercise and run every day. Unless I'm being chased, I don't see why, Right? <laughs> And there are things that I love to do that Libby isn't so fired up about, like, like memorizing scripture and reading the Bible every day, right? I'm kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. Okay, stay on your notes, guys. Stay on your notes. All right. Like, there are things, I, I love road trips, and Libby would rather just get somewhere and be there. There's movies I love that she's not, not so into. And, and yet, what do we do? What do we do? There are times when Libby suggests something. Hey, I would love for us to do this. And I smile really big and I say, that sounds like total fun, <laughs> right? But here's the thing. I truly love to do things with Libby that I don't naturally like. Why? Because I love my wife. True love always has an action to it. If if we say we love God, listen, we love his commandments. And we even do things that naturally, listen, naturally we don't want to do. So you know what, I'm doing that, why? Not because I have to do it, but because I love my God. And not perfectly, Right? You don't need to be perfect in this love for God and his commandments to be an evidence of, of Christ at work in you, of a victorious life, right? 
It's not perfection. John's already covered that in the beginning of this letter where he said, if anybody says, I'm perfect, you're a liar. You're not perfect. But he says this, you walk in the light. And when we walk in the light, what's that light do? That light shines on our sin where we see it more clearly and we say, I don't want that in my life anymore. And we bring that sin in our imperfection. We bring that to the cross. We bring it to Christ. We say, I don't want this anymore. And we repent and we turn and we start to walk with him in repentance. And so when we love God and we love others, we don't do it perfectly. We have an inability to love each other perfectly. We have a tendency to blame other people for why we don't love them perfectly, right? Well, I can't love you because you're not acting the way that you need to act. If you were less annoying, I could love you so much easier, right? We would never say that. I just did. You never say that, right? But it, it goes on in our heart, right? Like, like man, th- that person, they could really help themselves out so much more. They could help me love them more by, by doing things that I wish they would do more. If only they did this. If only they didn't do that. If they could be exactly how I wanted them to be, man, I could love them for sure, right? Here's the thing. Our failure to love each other perfectly it's not ultimately rooted in the fact that we don't connect with everybody perfectly. Our failure to love people is ultimately a vertical issue. That's what John's saying here, is that it comes out of our love for God. When I struggle to love someone, when you struggle to love other people here in this church, when you struggle with that, what you're revealing about yourself is that you, you don't love God the way you should. Because when, when that's broken, when I'm not tapping into that, when I'm not resting in the love of God, I'll find it a lot harder to love other people. Think about the most difficult people there are to love in the world. The only way you'll have strength to love that person is to grab a hold of, of God's heart for you. It's in him that you love the unlovable. You know, over the last few weeks, there's been so many stories coming in of, of marriages in our church that have gone through the most horrible situations where, where, where one or both of the spouse have been unfaithful. It is broken beyond earthly repair. And yet, what have we been hearing throughout these weeks? We're, we're hearing people say, listen, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. This is going to be so hard, but, but I want to lean into this. I want to love you. And I can't see how it's going to work out. But I see the love of God poured out on me, a broken, rebellious sinner. So how could I not extend that love to you? And listen, in those situations, man, there's going to be a lot of ground to cover. There are going to be a lot of things that have to happen, behaviors that have to change, a lot of room for trust to to grow where actions are are worthy of trust. But listen, there is a love being extended. and, And that is a holy, awesome, victorious love from the Father. It's a love that begins first with a love for God. So listen, if you're here this morning and you're finding it difficult to love someone, difficult to forgive somebody, difficult to care for somebody, you go back to that deep, deep well of Christ's love for you, that love that you have available to you, you draw from that well to love other people. And 
That's so key. It's so key to how we live out this life of victory that you are actually, listen, you're set free to love each other imperfectly. Why? Because Christ has loved you perfectly. So, so we're, we're set free as a community of believers to, to stumble and fall and trip and fail and, and try to love and fail at it, try to love and fail at it, continue to, to get up and keep going. It's gonna be messy, but hopefully the, the direction is going to change over time. We're gonna grow more and more genuine with each other, but listen, it'll never be perfect. But we can take that weight off of each other, that weight of, of loving perfectly, because in Christ, we have the perfect advocate. For the, when, when we fall short in this, when we fall short in loving God, we fall short in loving each other, that we can find complete forgiveness. We can find an inexhaustible source of grace and power to be able to live this out. That's a life of victory. Here's another evidence of, of a victory that you have in your life if you are in Christ. It's this, I obey God's commands. I obey God's commands. Look at verse three. For, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I obey God's commands. We have this, this faith in Jesus. We, we love each other. We love God, and, and we love his commandments. I mean, it's so practical. What does it mean to rest in? What does it mean to have faith in, to trust in, to really love God? The, what John's laying out for us here is we need to ask this. Do I put myself under the word? I mean, do I love his commandments? Do I, do I really daily, actively obey what God calls me to obey from his word? He actually says here, do, do you keep the commandments? He says, first, he says, you obey the commandments, but he says that we keep his commandments. O obedience is action. We, we do it. Keeping has this idea of protecting, of treasuring, of loving the commandments. There's an attitude that goes with the obedience. It's not begrudging obedience to, to, to God. It's this, no, I keep your commandments. I treasure them. I love this. It's why John can say that his commandments aren't burdensome. I don't know about you, maybe more spiritual than I am, but I read that, and my first reaction when I was reading that is, really? The commandments of God are not burdensome. I mean, there are times where I'm telling you, man, it feels like a burden to walk out the, the, what God calls us to. John's not saying that they're easy, but he is saying this, they're not a burden. Sometimes they feel like a burden. And, and here's when they feel like a burden. When our flesh, when our old self, when the pressing in of the world presses in on us and, we, and, and what we want is different than what God wants, there's a burden. There's a, there's a struggle. There's a tension. There's a fight there. But listen, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit has, has recreated you. You're not the same person you used to be. And so even in that struggle, you, you, you're beginning to see that, man, I don't have the same desires I used to have. I don't have the same, the same draw that used to be on my life towards that sin, towards that disobedience. Man, I read God's word and go, that's what God wants you to do? Man, I want to do that. That's the power of Christ in you right now. That's victory being lived out where, where your heart and your mind, your soul is being set free. It's growing more and more like Jesus Christ. 
So that when God forbids something or when God calls you to act in a certain way, you begin to find yourself saying, man, that's so right. And that that temptation's losing its grip on my heart. And you begin to grow in trusting God more. Instead of always saying, yeah, but why? But God, I don't get that. But God, that seems so old-fashioned. You start to, to go, but God, you are God and I'm not. You have a plan that I don't know about. So I want to follow you. And what happens is the battle is still there, but you start to recognize that battle where the world is drawing you in one way, but you're seeing God calling you to something else where the, where the world has ideas about money. Get as much as you can, however you can. Lie, cheat, steal, it doesn't matter. And, and there's that, that draw. So there, there's a, it feels burdensome when God says, no, 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 be completely honest in everything you do. Be, be, be incredibly generous as you give it away. And it becomes joyful. You go, I mean, I can't wait to do that because that's what God's called me to. Or, or the world presses in on, on sexuality and has things to say. No, no, you can have sex with whoever, whenever, how many, how, however many people you want. You just, you just go, and man, it's free love, man. Just go. And then God's word says, no, it's reserved for marriage. It's, it's, it's sacred. And it feels like a burden. Man, what the world says actually seems like, I don't know. But God begins to change your heart. You begin to see, man, man, God's got a better plan. This is the crazy thing about, about, the se about sex, about what God calls us to with sex, is that, that psychologists and sociologists are now, are now, years after the whole free love thing, are going, yeah, I think we screwed that up. Yeah, there's a lot of brokenness and depression and, and stuff being heard and that maybe sex isn't just a physical act. Maybe there's something deeper going on there. And, and as a Christian, we're like, yeah, God's been saying that since the beginning. There's this draw, there's this, this struggle. Maybe it's about giving your life away even. Man, man I don't want to live in a way where it's sacrifice and, and, and I want to do, because the world is calling me to this and, and that's the struggle. I mean, do I want to follow this or do I want to pursue what God calls me to? And as the Spirit begins to work in your heart, you begin to see the beauty and the treasure and see that God's ways are the best ways. They're not burdensome at all. Here's the thing. What will kill a victorious life is not just pursuing after sin. Yeah, that will do it too. But what else will kill a victorious life is begrudgingly following after God's word. Listen, the, the fruit of the spirit of life in you, the victory that comes out of you is when you begin to, begin to say, man, God's word is like honey to my lips. Following after what God calls you to, man, it's joy forevermore. That's the battle we're gonna fight because the world is gonna continue to push in on us and say, no, there's a, there's a different way. There's a better way pushing in on the way God calls us to. And I'm telling you, it, it's, a, it's a, a struggle, but it, it's when we start to realize, wait a minute, the ways of God, man, they're so much better. They're, they're not as burdensome. In fact, I read this quote from, from Madonna. For those of you who are younger, that's the Beyonce of my generation, all right? So Madonna, or is Beyonce old now too? I don't know, who, whatever. Madonna said this. She said, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. It's always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a human being, but then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and I guess it never will. 
And here's someone who had it all. She had everything. She, she, was, she was top of the game. She goes, no, no, there's just still something more. There's, there's an unending need that I've got. There's this battle in our hearts where our hearts are created for the capacity of God filling our hearts. And when we don't fill our hearts with him and his word, our hearts begin to grab after other things. I mean, I need this for my hope. And we crave other things. Listen, no matter what generation you are here this morning, and it, you may see different ways of craving for other things, Right? As an older generation, you may crave other things that are different than a younger generation, but every generation has always gone after something in different ways. We're constantly looking for someone to say to us, well done. The question isn't, what will, you, will you follow someone? The question isn't, will you worship someone or something? The question isn't, will you find a treasure? The question is, what will you treasure? Our hearts are always seeking after that. Augustine said this, he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Speaking of God. John says this, verse four, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Could it be that, that all our stress and our straining and our anxiousness and our, and our dissatisfaction and our worry and our envy and our jealousy, it's pointing to the fact that we're not resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That we continue to put our hope in horizontal things rather than coming home to the love of God where he says so clearly, well done. We're going to live in defeat as long as we're always just begrudgingly obeying God like he's a taskmaster rather than coming to that place where we can rest and see Jesus as our loving Savior. I mean, that's the battle. That's the fight we're in. That we, we would see Jesus for who he is and, and what he calls us as, as his followers and, and we get our life in that direction because if, if Jesus is the Son of God and we believe that and we rest in that, that's our victory. Now here's the great thing. If Jesus is the son of God, it means that the battle we're fighting isn't just being fought by us alone. That the power, the victory, the rest we have is Christ in us. That Jesus had, had victory over, over Satan, over sin, over the world by his spirit that's supplied to you as a Christ follower. That victory is that power now in you. And I mean, think about how big of a statement that is. That you have the victory of Christ in you. That, that you have the power to conquer sin. You, you have the power to, to defeat what, what is so seemingly impossible in your life. That burden you carry of the world. That, that in, in Christ you have the victory over that. And some of you walk in here this morning and it's not going well for you. And, and you've given in so many times. And you, I mean, you, you would say that you're walking in failure so much and, and doubt grows in you. And, and you start to wonder, man, maybe I'm not even saved. Maybe God isn't good. Maybe he doesn't have my best in mind. And you start to wave the, the white flag of, of surrender. And you're saying, I'll never change. It's always going to be like this. Maybe that's not you this morning, but maybe that's the way you think of somebody else. You're waving the white flag on them saying, man, they're done. They're never going to change. There's never going to be victory in that person's life. 
Listen, don't throw up the white flag of surrender before God has the last word. It's not over yet. Maybe for you this morning, God brought you in here just for that, just for that, that that he's not done with you. Maybe he brought you in here this morning for somebody else who you've had that attitude about. God's saying he's not done with that person. He's so ready to write a new chapter, to do a new work of overcoming sin and overcoming temptation and and that you you believe would never stop. God's going, no, there's victory in this. You have the power. You have the tools. You have the faith. A faith that God's given you to put sin to death. To trust in the word. to, to, To believe that the spirit of God's at work in you and that he's broken He's canceled the power of sin in your life. And and that the enemy is actually powerless to stop you from overcoming his temptations. You ever thought of it that way? The enemy's powerless to stop you from from saying no to temptation. You're you're not just sitting here helpless. You, You can walk in faith and victory no matter what temptation the world throws your way. That's what God's word's saying. You can believe in the, in the promises. You can believe in the provision uh, that's found in Christ. He said, you can believe, just live this out. Now, how can I say that with such confidence? How can I stand up here and go, this is the victory we have? Well, here, here's our last point this morning. It's this. We can have a sure hope of victory. We can have a sure hope of victory. And, and here in the next few verses, we're gonna just quickly unpack this morning. Typically, when you see a courtroom in Scripture, What you see is God as the judge, right? Here, as John unpacks this, God isn't the judge here. God's actually stepping in as a witness. He's coming to give testimony to your victory. And not just God. He's saying, no, I got three witnesses I'm bringing to this. It's so important to hear that, that that John's not just making up something kind of goofy. Well, let's, let's pick three. Old Testament law would say you can't accuse somebody without two or three witnesses, Remember how Jesus and Matthew, when he talks about when you have something against a brother or sister and you go to them alone and they don't, they're not going to respond to it, they're not willing to walk it out in forgiveness, what's, it, what's Jesus say? Bring with you two or three witnesses. In 1 Timothy, when, when Paul's saying, if, if you have an accusation against a, a leader in the church, don't bring it without two or three witnesses. And so what do we have here? We have God showing up with witnesses to say that, listen, Jesus is the way. He's the only way. He, he's the way, the only way to hope and to victory. Look at verse six. He says this, the testimony here. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. So John's saying, don't just listen to me. Don't just listen. I want to bring you someone better than me. Here's the testimony of God. And there's this this kind of confusing statement. Like, what's up with this water in the blood? Like, how how do you unpack that? What's going on there? And there's, there's different ways that people have, it may mean this, it may mean that. Here's what I think it means. The most convincing for me is this, that Jesus' ministry can actually be summed up with bookends of his baptism, the water, and his crucifixion, the blood. 
The whole ministry of Jesus, the whole, the whole testimony of our victory is the life and death of Jesus Christ. So, so in the beginning of Christ's ministry, he goes into the water to be baptized and a voice from heaven calls out and says, this is my son, listen to him. That marked the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry, this testimony of God so clear that God the Father saying about God the Son, this is my son, listen to him. And then, then what do we see at the cross? Again, we see, we see God the Father at work as, as Jesus Christ on the cross. You, you see an earthquake. You see it pitch black at noon. It says that graves opened up like crazy. The, the curtain in the, in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And that word curtain makes it sound so light and airy. It wasn't. It was so thick, impossible to rip this thing. But God's power saying, no, the blood of Christ is enough that now we have access to God through Christ. I mean, just unbelievable what the death and resurrection of Jesus says. That's the core of our hope. This is where our hope rests that the victory has been won, that, that sin has been dealt with, that God forgave all our sin, past, present, and future sin dealt with it, that through Christ we have the hope of a relationship with God. John's going, you've got the testimony of, of the, the water, you've got the testimony of the blood, you've got the testimony of the Spirit, which is the truth, the one behind the writing of Scriptures. The Spirit of God testifies to this of who Jesus is. All of this pointing to Jesus Christ as our sole object of victory and overcoming faith. So I would say this, if you're going to have victory in life, you gotta get everything out of the way except Jesus Christ. Don't cling to anything else for hope. Don't cling to your marriage. Don't cling to your kids. Don't cling to your stuff. Don't cling to your effort. Don't, don't cling to your work. Don't cling to religious systems. Cling to Jesus Christ alone. And John says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. So he's saying this, that your life itself, a life of victory shows Christ in you. He says, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Don't miss what John's saying here. This is, this is about eternity here. Look at verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Who does not have the Son of God does not have life. He, he's basically laying it out. You want victory or defeat? Victory is found in Christ and Christ alone. If you have Jesus, you have life. This is why we go out on mission, right? This is why we live the way we do. This is why we're trying to, to reach our community because we want to point them to where there is life. So what do we do? We fully trust in Jesus. We believe, we rest, we put our hope in the work of Christ. So, for, so for, for, for you this morning, if you don't know Christ, that's where you begin. Christ is everything. That's my hope. If you are a Christian, how do you live in victory? You live by believing this as well, by, by affirming what you already believe. I mean, I mean, this morning, do you have a doubting heart? Did you lose a battle this week with temptation? Are you fearful that some of the trials you're in right now, that, 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 that maybe you're not going to be able to make it through those? Listen, as, as the worship team comes up, as we end off this morning, listen to this, listen. In Christ, you have hope. He's your treasure. He's your strength. He's your shield. He's your foundation. 
In Christ, he's the reason you can sing hallelujah in the midst of the storm. That you can stand as an overcomer. You can say, I am victorious. I mean, that is your life, according to God's word. This is what we preach. This is what we live out in our communities. And I would say this, if, if you don't believe in Christ, if you haven't rested in Christ, or maybe you're just casual about your belief and you haven't reached a, pray, a place in your life where you're putting your whole future in Jesus' hands, listen, John says, you don't have life. We want you to have life this morning. I'm telling you, listen, God saves the most broken, messed up, crazy people. Just look around you, all right? I mean, any of you are Christ followers this morning where sometimes you just think, man, I can't believe that God saved me. I mean, I can't believe that today he still clings to me. How gracious is God. And God's calling you today for you to experience victory, but for that to happen, listen, we put ourselves under his word. We surrender our life to him every day. Where we say, I'm no longer the king of my life. I'm no longer the Lord of my life. Jesus, you're king. I submit to you. You're my victory. Would you stand as I pray before we sing? Heavenly Father, your word is true. And we just read this morning, you are so clear in saying that we are overcomers, that we are victorious, that, that sin can't keep us down. It has, doesn't have the power to keep us down because we have the power of your spirit in us. And so God, I pray that even right now, even now, as the battle wages in some of our hearts, God, that our hope would be in you. That you would be our treasure. That you would be our everything. So God, may that be true even now. God, and where it's not true, Lord, may we press in and to, to sing even that truth, Lord, to, to, to grab a hold of this truth that God, you are our victory. That we have a hope that can't be taken away. We have a victory even in the midst of storms. Not because we have an easy life, but because we have you. Not because here and now is going well, but because we know that our eternity is completely secure. So we're overcomers. God, may it be so. Send us out of here as those who are overcomers. Send us out of here on mission to live as overcomers so that others in our community can see, not just hear the words we speak, but see it in our life that something's different. That you're our victory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.